The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Okie then. Welcome one. Welcome all. It is your Tuesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host. What the hell's my name? Dan Bespris. That's what I call myself. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. This is uh, a podcast you can locate through the fine folks at HoopBall. That's hoop-ball.com. Or at HoopBall Tweets. That's the big umbrella of what's going on over there. You know, I have... Well, first of all, let me tell you what we're going to be talking about today. Today, if you listen to yesterday's podcast, you know we're going to be diving into the actual player numbers from Yahoo's beginning of season to end of season numbers, uh, the rankings, I should say, and what that means for us in terms of draft strategy going forward. We're also going to be summarizing the current playoff situations, Brooklyn dominating Milwaukee last night and Phoenix beating Denver and what that means for series prices and individual game stuff. So we'll do a, our usual like 10, 12 minutes on the playoffs and betting. Uh, one other thing that I hadn't really ever mentioned on this podcast because, and, and I'll explain why, is Top Shot, which I've had a lot of you guys ask me why I haven't brought it up on the show to this point. And it's a reasonable question. It's a reasonable question because it's become a, a, a pretty big deal in NBA, in the sort of, in NBA Twitter, really. Although I don't know that it's full, hit full mainstream status yet, but it's quite large in NBA Twitter. It's pretty big in fantasy NBA circles because it's all about finding the interesting moments of players that you think are on the rise and stuff like that. But here's the, the lowdown because I sort of got tired of just typing it in Twitter DMs. Technically, Top Shot is still in beta. And so it's my belief that I shouldn't throw my weight behind something that could conceivably disappear overnight. Odds are that's not going to happen. But one thing that many of you that have used it have seen up until about a week ago is that as more and more moments, as they call them, it's... For those that are are not initiated, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about what I'm talking about in a second. As more and more moments have gotten dumped into the marketplace, you've actually seen prices kind of crash on all of these things. And a lot of people are like, you know what, I'm out. I'm out. And then that creates an additional moment dumping, and it's sort of this feedback loop. Well, fortunately, this thing is still early enough on where they could sort of just stem the tide a little bit, and, that's, and it swung back the other way. For those that are not using it, the website is nbatopshot.com. It's basically online trading cards. I don't know if any of you guys listening to this podcast collected cards as a kid or now. I mean, here's the thing. If you're collecting cards now, you probably already know what it is. So if you're not, then the way that I would best describe it is, for me, it was baseball cards. As a, a kid, I collected baseball cards. It's actually how we got the name of our first family dog, our dog was named Abner. He was named after Padres, uh, I think he was an infielder named Sean Abner. Loved that last name. Thought it was great for a dog. <laughs> um, 
but what they've done now is they've they've digitized it and they've turned them into these what you guys have probably heard about called uh non-fungible nfts that's what the f it's a fun word um and so you know I, i'll probably end up talking more about it as time goes on and as it really becomes solidified and they have all this money they got financial backing venture capitalist money and all that so forth so they're, they're likely not going anywhere and if you'd like i'm more than happy to talk about it with you just on the side i'm not an expert in fact i'm far from it i am the opposite end of the spectrum i'm someone who's sort of just trying to figure things out on the fly all the little nuances of of how the marketplace works and sort of what you need to get the good stuff without having to shell out a truckload of cash that is of course the method to my madness and everything I do in life. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk about it, I'm uh, happy to. We can we can chat on that. You can do it on Twitter as well, at Dan Bespris. I'm, again, not an expert, just sort of a fun thing that I've been screwing around with, and I thought I'd mention it for the first time today because it does feel like they, the website kind of conquered the first pricing-related demon. And I don't know how long that lasts. I'm sure there'll be plenty of others. But, uh, yeah, that's what they've got going on. So that's uh, NBATopshot.com. In terms of the playoffs, we'll segue into that here. We told you Brooklyn beat the snot out of Milwaukee. 125-86 was the final score in that game, a 39-point drubbing. That, by the way, if you just looked at the... If you looked at everything besides the scoring column, you would have not thought the game was as lopsided as it was. First of all, nobody shot any free throws in that game yesterday. The Nets took seven. The Bucks took nine. The Bucks had 16 turnovers to the Nets, eight. Okay, fine. Uh, eight extra possessions on the Brooklyn side. If that's really what we think the game came down to, then terrific. I mean, the most they could have turned that into would have been 24 points, but that's not really how it goes. Generally, possessions for good offensive teams are worth, what, a little over one point per possession? Depending on how you... Uh, build out the possessions. Certainly not like one and a quarter. That would be quite a lot. So whatever, eight possessions, call it, I don't know. You could even liberally say 12 points, and that's too many probably. Rebounding, Milwaukee actually won that rebounding battle 44 to 42. They got outshot 52 to 44%. That's another few points in the bucket. And then obviously the the very big difference here was that Brooklyn hit 13 additional three-pointers over Milwaukee. So, you take the turnover differential, eight extra possessions, the 13 extra three-pointers, and the 8% field goal bump. And I think had I looked at all of that together, I probably would have said, okay, well, 13 plus another 10, 20. Like, I would have thought like maybe a 20-point ball game, something in that neck of the woods. But it was 40. It was an ass-kicking. And... Look, I mean, Kevin Durant had 32 points on 18 shots. Kyrie had 22 on 17 shots. And this is without getting any free throws. And this is without James Harden. I truly cannot figure out how it went this poorly for Milwaukee. Giannis was not good. Middleton was not good. I mean, he was terrible. Drew Holiday was fine, although he didn't get to do all that much. And they just got, they got blasted. By a team that's running Blake Griffin at center, basically. Who, by the way, it's seven and eight. It's not like he was the guy who ripped them apart. It was KD and Kyrie. It was the, the two-man gang. And that was all they needed. 
I think Milwaukee bounces back in their next one for whatever that's worth. I think you also probably see some higher scoring games. Brooklyn scoring a buck 25 was not a huge surprise, although the pace of this game actually wasn't that high. So whatever the number is that it's going to get set at, it's the under is probably still a decent wager. When the hell is that game? That's not tomorrow. That's actually not until Thursday. 235 is the total on that ball game. They brought it down three points. And you'll probably have like a 120-115 type of ball game, so you're probably looking at a decent line there. But possessions-wise, it probably stays under again. Meanwhile, Phoenix beat Denver 122-105. This is just an outclassing, and Denver's probably going to be tighter in the next ball game. But Phoenix is just a far better team than Denver is without Will Barton and Jamal Murray. Name, I mean, more specifically, without Jamal Murray. If Denver had a guard that could create in any way, it would completely change how Phoenix has to defend. But they can choose, basically. Look, do we want to just let Nikola Jokic take a ton of shots? Or do we want to let him get everybody else involved? And you sort of have, you just pick a poison and you roll with it. But when Murray's out there, you have two poisons. If you choose to just let Nikola take a ton of shots... You can't help off of anybody. He's going to eat DeAndre Ayton alive in that scenario because presumably they can actually take him off the court for five minutes during the game and Jamal Murray can go do it. And those two guys ran brilliant pick-and-roll offense throughout their entire playoff run last year. Jeremy Grant took advantage of it quite a lot. But they're just beat up. They're just beat up. Jokic wasn't great. Um... Michael Porter Jr. tweaked his back, but the expectation is that he'll play. Aaron Gordon had one of the few good games for Denver, but he's not going to be the one that shoulders the load and carries them. It's going to have to be Jokic. If he's not good, they've got no shot. He'll be better, and so the next ball game will probably be closer. Phoenix is favored by about the same amount again. They were favored by five and a half in this one. They play tomorrow. They don't get two days off because they're not switching cities. Phoenix favored by six, total of 200 and 22 this last one was finished at 227 because phoenix was fantastic offensively they were absolutely brilliant on the offensive side the nuggets were actually fairly average offensively another low free throw shooting game i don't know if that's something that sticks as well so i would contemplate i would contemplate the over thinking that denver probably scores better in the next ball game, but it's also possible that if Denver moves up towards one, you know, like 112, Phoenix might come down towards 114. So those things might kind of counterbalance a little bit. And your total of, what did I just say it was, 222, I think you still probably lean ever so slightly to the over. I think Denver hits a buck 10 offensively. But bear in mind, this was not a fast-paced basketball game. It really wasn't. And with Chris Paul healthy again, he's going to keep it relatively slow. Phoenix had to move a little quicker against the Lakers because the Lakers' defense is what was is that was really their sort of only remaining strength with no Anthony. Well, watch what I say there. Their remaining strength with AD and Braun not at full power. They weren't going to overwhelm teams offensively, but still they were very good on defense. When AD went down, that's when we leaned into the over because the Lakers' defense fell apart. And it didn't all work because the Lakers' offense really wasn't very good with Braun not 100%. Now, in this one, Chris Paul getting healthy, 
I don't think they need to go fast anymore. I think they believe that their defense can do enough to stop the non-Jokic's on the Denver side. Bull Bull played two minutes in a playoff game. That was something, I guess. <laughs> uh, DeAndre Ayton probably won't be this great every single game, but again, he's been awesome in the playoffs for the most part. Denver is not a good defensive team with all these missing pieces. They've got all these extra things that are trying to jam together, and they'll be okay there, but Phoenix is going to generally get what they want. Some of that is because you need to make more buckets to slow the other team down, but a lot of that's just because Phoenix in the half court is just very, very good. They're very good. It's a good team. I got laughed at for saying that they're actually a championship contender, but they they really are. With CP3 healthy, they are. I don't know if they quite have the talent to to deal with a team like Brooklyn, should it get that far. But I think they do have the talent to deal with a team like the Clippers, should it get that far. They definitely have the talent to deal with the Jazz, if that's the team they end up having to to fight with. But I actually like Denver to cover in the next one. I don't know that I believe Phoenix is going to win by 17 again. Uh, and if I think Denver's going to cover, I think they, that means they probably have to score a little bit. So I would lean to Denver in the over in kind of a correlated parlay type of thing. As far as the ball games tonight, I think Philly beats Atlanta. I have no idea if they cover six points, which does give me a little bit of pause. So I might look towards Philly on the series at about minus 130. That's a pretty good price to say they can win four out of six ball games here. I think they they made the move that they needed to make, which was to get Danny Green off of Trey Young, use someone either bigger or faster. But Danny Green, who's like, I don't know if you guys have played a lot of Mario Kart in your life. Danny Green is like the Mario on defense. He's okay at everything. He's okay at everything. But you sort of need to throw something different at Trey Young. You can't just have someone who's okay at everything because Trey is good at everything. So you need to take something away. Take the free throws away by putting a super big dude on him who doesn't have to jump. Uh, take the space away by putting a fast guy on him. Like, like you have to, you just have to pick something and roll with it, or trap him. Also a possibility. But I think Philly bounces back. They should get this ball game. Money line would be a a better way to look, but that's just too damn expensive. Two twenty four. The total. I honestly have no idea because the last one went went bounding over the mark, but uh. That one also had 56 free throws and the both teams shooting over 50%. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid had 39, Trey had 35. I would lean to the under, but I really don't know what Philly's going to look like on the defensive side of this ballgame. I do know that Atlanta's not going to be able to slow down the Sixers because the Hawks' excellent defense kind of comes apart when Embiid is just going to work on the guy who keeps it together, which is Clint Capella. He's the anchor. And unfortunately, he can't function the same way when he's dealing with the, I'd say the toughest center to guard in the league. I, I, Jokic is, is up there, but Jokic doesn't draw fouls the way that Embiid does. And that changes the way that a defense can build out an entire game plan. So whatever, you guys get my meaning on that one. Uh, Clippers in Utah is the other game coming up tonight. Jazz favored by three. That came down on the Mike Conley news. He's out for this first ball game. I still think the Jazz win this first one. I think the Clippers kind of... Not that they're out of gas necessarily, but I do think they need a recharge game after that seven-gamer with the Mavericks. Very difficult to bounce back against a brand-new opponent. You have to change everything you're doing overnight 
where Utah has probably been looking at that series thinking the Clippers are probably going to be the one to come out of it, even when they were falling behind. Uh, So they've had time to game plan. They're going to space things out. Both teams are going to space things out a little bit. I think this game has more pace than some of the Clippers' earlier games. My question is, can L.A. shoot well enough on tired legs to get this one to the over? Because I do think Utah is going to get there. They're going to get their, you know, 112, 113 points, but can the Clippers get to 108? I don't know. I like the Jazz as the side to play in that ballgame, and that's probably where I would abandon ship on it. Shout out to our buddies at Manscaped.com. Use promo code HOOPBALL20 on your order to get 20% and free shipping, 20% off and free shipping on whatever you get there. They have now... Thank you, Manscaped. You did what I asked you to. They have now finally put all their new stuff on their homepage. So just go to manscaped.com. You can see all the cool things in the new Lawnmower 4.0 wireless charging system. 7,000 RPMs with a 90 minute battery life. That's crazy. It's got waterproof technology. So you can trim in the shower. Which, by the way, for those of you that have attempted to sideburn trim near water or even on damp skin, it's normally hell. Not with Manscaped, man. Go do it. Go do it. You know what's really weird is I started to do that live read. <laughs> and I felt like I got a hair in my mouth. Maybe I did. I don't know. I have a white dog here that sheds like a son of a gun. Uh, but that was really unfortunate timing. And I thought about editing it out. And then I thought, no, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> feel like you got a hair in your mouth while doing a Manscaped read. A uh, pooey. Manscaped.com is the website. Promo code HoopBall20 so they know who sent you. 20% off free shipping. It's good stuff. Go check them out. Post haste, let's talk fantasy sports. We've spent damn near 16 minutes on other stuff, I think. I lose track of time. But I want to dive into the Yahoo numbers. And for those that didn't listen to yesterday's show, we're not going to do a full rehash here. But it is important for you to know what we're about to be talking about. And what that is, is effectively... How did Yahoo's pre-ranks do when compared with the final ranks of every player in their top 100? We did this each of the last two seasons. I managed to color code a few of them. I didn't do I didn't color code last year because of the damn pandemic shut the league down in March, as you may recall. I think we all probably recall. And then this year, one of the things I did differently is that I, I wanted to look at it both from an averages and well, I choose my words carefully. I wanted to look at it from a per game and totals standpoint because I felt like this season, more than any other, totals played such a monumental role. Did your guy make it through the damn season? It's generally, it's often the case that the guys at the top of the totals rank list are the guys that play the most games in a season. Go back two years ago, for instance, an actual 82-game pre-pandemic season, and the guys that made that first-round board, the top 12, played 78, 77, 77, 78, 80, 80, 80, 69, 72, 82, 56, and 81 ballgames. It's not an accident that the top guys, by totals, tend to miss 10% or less of the games in an NBA season. The two names you heard in there were were lower numbers. Steph Curry played 69 games two years ago, 
and Anthony Davis played 56 games with New Orleans two years ago. Those were the only two guys that managed to get inside the top 12 without hitting 72 games or more. Giannis was that one, and that's just a shade over uh, 10%. That's missing about uh, 13, I think, percent of the ballgames. Same deal this year. If you look at the top 12 out of, uh, I guess it would make sure we, it's out of 72 games, and I have to make sure that I'm actually uh, going to the proper spot here. So it was season ended when? May, May 16th. Top 12 this year, 72, 63, 67, 70, 70, 54, 71, 64, 52, 52, 72, and 64. Interesting, right? You would have thought that it would have just been a whole bunch of guys that played the entire season. But this year, it was actually much more of a disparate set of numbers. The lower numbers there, meaning, let's say anybody under 65, Steph Curry, 63, was number two. Kyrie at six was 54 games played. Tatum, eight was the rank, 64 games played. Kawhi and Jimmy Butler were the 52s. That were back-to-back at 9 and 10. And then Adebayo, Bam Adebayo was number 12 in 64 games played. The thing that leaps out at you is not necessarily just who slotted in where. It's how the guys who played in 90% of the games or more separated themselves from where they were by on a per-game basis. This is all. This isn't even a discussion of how Yahoo did. This is me explaining why I did it this way. A few years ago, now James Harden ran away with it, but a few years ago, what we were talking about, the 18-19 season, and all of those guys that played 90-100% to 100% of their team's games, they didn't jump that far in the rankings because a lot of the guys around them were playing 74-75 games. This season, the rankings jump was ridiculous. I mean, look at... Uh, uh, who's a good example here? Look at, say, Rudy Gobert, who finished at number seven by totals. Number seven, guys, by totals. By averages, it, it wasn't, he wasn't even in the neighborhood. He was number 21. And then Nikola Jokic was not only number one on a per-game basis, but he was so durable, he was actually number one by basically a second rounder. You could have slipped in between Jokic and Steph Curry in terms of how much value they brought to their basketball teams. If you had Nikola Jokic, you had a first-rounder and a second-rounder rolled into one player. And then you probably also had a second-rounder on your team. It was really hard to lose if you had Jokic on your fantasy team. You were probably going to be in the top four with just Jokic. So all of that long-winded discussion to say, this is why I broke it down into two chunks this year, because I thought it was worth exploring both sides of what was a very weird puzzle on this sprint of a COVID season. Not a COVID shortened, I guess. Well, I mean, it is, but whatever. So let's just dive on in. And if you're wondering on the methodology, you can go back and listen to yesterday's pod. I spent about 20 minutes talking about it. I don't want to do that again today. We'll start with number one. And you guys will see kind of how we're analyzing this as we move through it. James Harden was the preseason number one on Yahoo. This is what we're going off of. Yahoo's preseason number one. By totals, he finished the year at number 41. By averages per game, he finished at number four. So what did that tell us? Well, it tells us that in a normal season, 
I would argue that this was a pretty good ranking for Harden. How are we to know he was going to miss that many ball games? You could argue that he ended up being kind of a difficult guy to take, but from a game-to-game standpoint, when he was in there, he was good. And you can't overperform at the number one pick, so if you can get to within a couple of slots, you've done it. This is all really interesting stuff because, again, if you go back to two years ago, Harden was also the preseason number one. He finished at number two. AD was the preseason number two. He finished at number one. Usually these early ones are, uh, per game, I should say, AD finished at number one. Usually these early round guys are pretty predictable from a per game basis. You're probably making your early round picks based heavily on durability to a certain degree. Luka Doncic was the preseason number two. That was an insane place to have him, and this was a bad pick no matter how you sliced it. By totals, he was number 25. By per-game numbers, he was number 36. It was actually, he got a durability bump this year and still couldn't quite crack the second round in overall value because as great as Luka is, he has a couple holes in his fantasy game, in 9-cat in particular, turnovers being one of them, but free-throw shooting is the other. It's real hard to be a top five fantasy player if you have an anchor weight on your your value. At number three, preseason rank was Anthony Davis, and he was arguably the worst pick in all of fantasy sports this year because of how much you had to spend to get him. I was guilty of it in one league, and I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, here's the numbers. AD was number 140. By totals, he was number 24 by averages, which is, again, still a massive drop-off. I figured there would be a drop-off for AD coming off the short offseason and the bubble playoff run. I didn't think it would be anywhere near this long. The reason I did take him in one spot is because it was a keeper league, uh, and I knew the guys I was keeping were setting me up to where my only real chance to compete was to have a high-scoring defensive-minded team, this weird combo of percentages, points, and defense. And I didn't think I had almost any shot to win assists. And I didn't think I had almost any shot to win three-pointers based on who I was keeping. And uh, so, yeah, I thought, all right, well, here's my thing. I got to take some swings here in the first couple of rounds on high percentages, guys. That can bring me other stuff. Might they miss some games? Yes. And might he did. By the way, I still managed to get third place in that league, so I feel pretty good about that. Fourth preseason-ranked player was Carl Anthony Towns, who finished at 33 by totals, number 12 by averages on a per-game basis. So uh, not that far off, but still certainly a bit of a down year. Impacted at times by the fact that he wasn't playing at full strength and he had some minutes caps and things of that nature. But I also... I do believe that with the players around Cat now, we we have to probably turn his numbers down accordingly. He's not going to get to do as many things as he did before. 17.5 shots per game, that's great. 25 and 11. I mean, all of his stuff is still very good, but D'Angelo Russell's going to take a bunch away when healthy Malik Beasley's going to take stuff away. And uh, he just has a, a tiny bit of help that he didn't have a year ago. This last year, before he got hurt, it was it was really cat against the universe. I want to try to get through this first chunk of 10 players and then kind of break it down. That'll be 
really kind of a preview of what we're going to be doing the rest of this week and probably next week as well. Uh, wait a minute. Steph Curry was the preseason number five. He overperformed. He was number two by totals. He was number two by averages. That's easy enough. So winners all around on that one. Giannis was the preseason number six. He finished at 13 by totals. He finished at 13 by averages. How about that? And Nikola Jokic, number seven, finished at one by totals, one by averages. Dame was eight by uh, preseason, four by totals, ten by average. By the way, depending on how you look at that, per game, you might call him a guy who underperformed. By totals, that's a big win. You get a first-round pick who is performing anywhere near his ADP and is durable, and that's a first-round pick that, that you're going to be happy with. Meanwhile, Trey Young was number 62 on a per-game basis. Devin Booker was number 78 on a per-game basis. Both of those guys are actually somewhat durable, and yet still, Trey only got as high as 44 and Booker 50 by totals. Yikes. Yikes. Big step back for both guys, and we probably should have seen it coming because Atlanta added a whole bunch of stuff around Trey Young. Phoenix added Chris Paul next to Devin Booker. So usage is value, as we've said it before. Trey Young, you might say, oh, well, maybe he's going to get more assists with these other guys around him. Maybe that offsets the lack of usage. Nope. And then with Booker, we saw what he did in the bubble last year, and we all thought, oh, it's leap time during those eight bubble run-up games. But no, it doesn't work that way. When you're not, especially for a guy like Book, who's scoring, Everything he does requires the ball to be in his hands. At least with Young, like, you could have made the argument that perhaps his assists wouldn't suffer that much if he was passing two guys that could score around him. But if you're the guy that starts and ends the play, if you're the guy that's making the last pass, it's not good if you have some of that taken away from you. So here's what we've seen now through the first 10, and I separated into groups of 10, not because I expect you guys to be in 10-team leagues, but because it's just easier math to do. After 10, the live sum of misses, which we talked about on yesterday's show, was minus 298, negative 298. The absolute value sum of misses was 324. So that turns the positive misses into a miss, as opposed to uh, kind of working against the growing negative number. If you remove it and, and go to absolute value, which I think actually is a more instructive number, and I mentioned that on yesterday's show. The average rank, or the average miss size, I should say, a running tally every 10 picks was 32 and a half. This is by totals. First round picks... Missed, on average, by 32 and a half slots. Yes, I will admit, if you remove Anthony Davis and you turn that 324 into 200, excuse me, uh, 187, Make sure I'm getting the, that math right. 324 minus 137. Yeah, it's 187. And divide that by 9. The miss is only 21. 
instead of 32 and a half. So that's a really big reason why. However, the reason I bring this up as interesting and the reason we're going to hover on this first round quite a bit is we're going to have to make a decision from this data. Is this the way things are going to go or was this a one-off? How do per-game numbers instruct us on this? Well, believe it or not, they're not that different because AD was number 24 on a per-game basis, so that mitigates his colossal whiff on games played. And as we talked about a second ago, Trey Young and Devin Booker were actually a bigger miss on a per-game basis than they were by totals, which is different than pretty much everybody else in this first-round discussion. Almost everybody else was about the same or significantly less on the per-game side. AD, much less on the per-game side. Cat, less. Harden, much less. Luka, a tiny bit more. Young and Booker, a little bit more. But it doesn't balance out. It really doesn't. So that's why you don't have to take AD out of the equation. In fact, taking him out really doesn't change it almost at all. The average miss size after 10 picks on a per-game basis was also 20 and a half. Almost the exact same as the missed size by totals if you removed Anthony Davis's injury-plagued season, or one big injury season, from the totals side of the equation. So either way, you're looking at a missed size of about a round and a half. That's significant. And the thing you're probably thinking as I'm going through this is, well, Dan, how does this compare, though? Is this typical? No! Far from typical. Last year, I did take the numbers when the season was lopped off in March, and I didn't include the bubble games. And the average miss size, absolute value, on a per-game basis after the first round last year, was 6.4. The miss size didn't get up to 20 in any group of 10 until pick 28. And it took three, really like four consecutive medium-sized misses to get it to that point. At pick 24 last year, the miss size was still only 11. And then it went on a run of misses, 22, 58, 20, 51. That was Mitchell Robinson last year, De'Aaron Fox, John Collins, who was actually a positive miss last season, and then Draymond Green. This is a per-game basis, remember, because Collins was suspended, so etc. But it took those four misses in a row to bump that miss size up into the 20s, and it never really went back down from there. In fact, there was a run in the late 30s that shot it up into the 30s, and then there was a run in the 40s that shot it up into the 40s and 50s and even the 60s briefly. Now, there are stretches where it comes back down, and that's the beauty of having that sort of running per 10 log. But even going back to last year, there was this one little zone in the 50s, like between the late 40s and the late 50s, where Yahoo was very accurate last year, and the miss size dropped down to like 17 or 18 over the last 10. But looking at this season... It did get better in the second round, and then it jumps up, and it almost never comes back down again. It's just miss after miss after miss after miss. This was a complete explosion of a year 
in terms of rankings. The only real place that Yahoo got their rankings right, believe it or not, was the second round. And I shouldn't even phrase it like that. It's basically picks 11 through 20. You know, we always talk about how the second round is this total cluster mess that no one ever gets right, and it blows up rosters, and no matter who you take in the second round, it's the wrong play. Well, literally this year, the only guy you took in the second round that probably blew up your team was LeBron James. Uh, Or Kevin Durant, I guess. But at least KD was good on a per-game basis. Braun did play more games. But uh, by totals, they were quite close. By averages, KD was better. So those two guys could have hurt you a good amount. They managed to get inside the top 100. Um, And this, of course, uh, you know, I'm mostly looking at a per-game side. By totals, there's almost no point the whole way through where Yahoo was all that great. Uh, From uh, Joel Embiid at 15 through John Collins at 21. So it was like a seven-pick chunk where Yahoo did relatively well, and you could extend it maybe as far as Kyrie Irving at pick 24, where they were relatively accurate. So it was from like 15 to 24. That's a 10-slot run where it almost seems like they lucked into it because most of those guys played enough to get near their mark. But let's go back to looking at the first round numbers a little bit longer. We're uh, we're not. I don't, I don't want to quite wrap this this first round discussion up yet today. And I know I'm bouncing back and forth between totals and per game numbers, but I, I want to make sure we're kind of looking at both as we go through. So I think the the data here screams one off. Because if you want to even go back two years, 2018, 2019, the non-COVID year, Yahoo's first round average missed size, absolute value. So this is like the biggest you could possibly make it, 4.9. So again, you could argue that it got slightly worse the COVID year, but it was really only because Steph Curry didn't play that much or uh, last season. And I'm, again, I'm looking at a per game thing. And then with this year, even on the per-game side, it was all over the map because Trey Young and Devin Booker didn't belong there, and uh, AD was way down, and Doncic was way overranked for a nine-category league, and so on and so forth. This screams one-off, and here's why. James Harden, we know what to expect. They'll they'll kid-glove him a little bit more next year, but you know what numbers you're going to look for. Luka is probably going to be overdrafted. He'll go pretty high because of those uh, big popcorn numbers, but I, I don't know that he goes at two in nine-category leagues. But AD will be better. He'll have an offseason to get right. Cat will be better. He'll have an, have an offseason to get right. I'm mostly looking at all the per-game stuff. Giannis is going to be perpetually overdrafted. Trey Young, Devin Booker in nine-category leagues probably don't go in the top ten again next year. Tatum probably slides up into it, and I would think Kawhi Leonard, maybe Kevin Durant, maybe Joel Embiid are the guys that slide up to kind of take the place. And then suddenly, what if what if you did that? What if you did the logical thing? You leave Luka in the top 10 because of name power, 
you leave the guys that have always been there but underperformed this year, like AD and Cat and Giannis, who didn't underperform this year. This is just sort of who he is, but he's always going to go in that neck of the woods. And you just bump up the guys slightly sub... Like, maybe Tatum isn't the guy that jumps up. People seem to be really annoyed with Jason Tatum, even though uh, he was actually number eight by totals this year. People didn't like his performance. I think he has this weird late first-round appeal for next year, and he'll probably be on my not-old-man-old-man list. So mark that down right now. I'm probably targeting Jason Tatum for next year. Uh, LeBron, maybe he goes in the top ten... He shouldn't, but he might. Again, a very powerful name. But all I'm saying is, if you take out the names of guys that went in the top 10 that I think people are going to look at and go, you know what, this is the new them. So Trey Young, who finished at 62 per game. Booker, who finished at 78 per game. And say, look, even if those guys are a little bit better next year, that doesn't get them close to first-round value. The guys I would slide up into that mix, everybody's going to be real excited about Joel Embiid. Because he had a great year. He did still miss some games. But, you know, he's number 17 by totals, and people are going to see the eight per game, so he might slide up there. KD, if we think we get him into, like, the 60s in games played next year. Kawhi, if he's in the 60s. If you just slid two of those guys into the first round instead, or top 10, sorry, instead of Trey Young or Devin Booker, if that's all you did... From this year to next year, and we'll just use the numbers that we're looking at right now, which again, I don't think it's Tatum. I think it's probably KD or Kawhi or Embiid or LeBron. And I'm talking about per game. Let's just take LeBron because he'd be the worst of the bunch on a per game basis. If you just put him in there instead of Trey Young and you put Embiid, uh, it should be Kawhi, but I, it might be Embiid. If you put Embiid, if you put Kawhi into that 10 slot, instead of Devin Booker, then the miss size of those two players, which combined was 121, becomes a miss of about 26 instead. So you pull off almost 100, and suddenly the first-round miss size is only 10 instead of 21. Why am I doing all these mental gymnastics just to get that first-round miss size back down to 10? Well, if we do our handicapping and our homework right, what we've learned over the years is that, in general, you go with Yahoo's first or top 10. They're generally right. You can have a name or two in there that you dodge annually, and certainly last year, that name for us was Giannis. I was fully out on Giannis last year as a top five guy, and he finished on a per-game basis at 18 last year. I was out last year on Joel Embiid. He finished at 16 on a per-game basis, and he was better than that this season. So he kind of stuck it back in my face with an offense that mostly ran through him. But it's that same kind of thing. If you eliminated Giannis last year, remember, this was only a 6.4 average gap in the top 10. Giannis was 13 of those 64 total slot misses. If you took him out and put the rightful first-round guy in there, who last year would have been Kawhi freaking Leonard, and he gets drafted at 10 or 8 or whatever it is instead of 15 or 14 or whatever it was last season, then suddenly your 64 miss becomes like 52 
and the average goes back down to five. An average miss of five is nothing. That's basically saying that anyone you take in the top seven or eight is probably going to finish in the first round. That's good. So just dodge the one or two guys that are almost definitely not going to hit their mark, and you're golden. Last year, on a per-game basis, the top 10 missed their original target by the following. Anthony Davis, zero. He was number one last year before everything got shut down. Cat, three on a per-game basis. I know he missed a bunch of time, but three missed size. Harden, two. Jokic, three. Dame, two. LeBron, one. Beal, two. The misses were... Embiid at 9, Giannis 13, and injured Steph Curry, who missed by 29 and almost shouldn't be in our calculations because of a fluke wrist injury. If you extend it beyond the top 10, Kyrie last year missed by 7. Missed a lot of games. Butler, 2. And then it starts to change. Kawhi, 10, because he was ranked too low. Drew Holiday, 15. Gobert, 13. Trey Young was much better last year. Paul George, 14. Kemba, 24. Russ, 14. It changes because there's a little more variance. The first 10 players are usually predictably incredible. Except for a couple of exceptions. And this year, unfortunately, the exceptions were much harder to spot at the top, at least. We didn't know how bad AD was going to be. We figured slight drop-off. Or Luka going at two and finishing, you know, round back of where he finished last year. I think he was number 20 last season. He was 36 this year. We will continue this discussion tomorrow and through the next couple of weeks. I don't want to make any one show too long, and this one's longer than I intended. So have a wonderful Tuesday, everybody. More Yahoo numbers coming up for the foreseeable future. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.